All right, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Colossians chapter 4. If you have access to God's Word on your phone and you want to open up your phone and you're not familiar with how to get to Colossians, it's going to be toward the end of the Bible. You're moving on in the New Testament there toward the book of Colossians in chapter 4. Kids, I know that normally at this time you would go to Elevate, but it's the first Sunday of the month, and so we're going to hang out in here together. Uh, parents, you guys know how uh, I want you to be comfortable in here. I know it's hard to have little ones in here sometime, but if you need to step out in the lobby, it's no disturbance to me. Don't, don't hesitate to do that. We're in this together, and so uh, kids, we're glad you're in here. Hopefully, if you're sixth grade and younger, as you are coming in, you got one of those pieces of paper that have, uh, paper has a bunch of circles on it on, on both sides. And so if you did get one of those pieces of paper and you haven't already colored all over it, uh, I want to give you a couple of things you can do with that, kids. Right in the middle, in that middle circle would be a good place to write your name on, on both sides. And then on one side, there are 14 little circles there. On the back of the bulletin, if your parents got one of the bulletins, on the back of the bulletin, there are letters that kind of have the main words, the main points for the sermon. It goes A down through, I can't remember exactly how far it goes, A through L, and it's kind of a main word. You can write that word in that circle because it's good as you listen to a sermon to be able to reinforce some things, be able to write some things down. And so you guys can practice by writing some of those words in those circles. And there's two more words sustain and expand you can write that and that'll finish out your 14 on the flip side if you guys are not good at writing your letters yet just draw a bunch of stick people uh, in those circles but if you are comfortable writing words what I want you to do in those bubbles on the back side of that paper is write in people's names that you're connected with. So like one circle you would write your mom's name and another circle you might write your Sunday school teacher's name. And what you're trying to do is to show how the people you know are connected with one another. Because what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna talk about how God connects our lives together. And so adults, I probably should have printed off a bubble paper for all of us, uh, but, but it helps for kids to be able to see this about how God brings, brings our lives together. Because when we sing together on Sunday morning, we're not singing at the stage and the stage isn't singing back at you. We sing to one another, the book of Colossians says. When we pray, it's not just one individual person praying, it's we're praying together as the church. When we study scripture right now, you're not listening to me give a presentation my presentation skills are going to leave you lacking. We are studying scripture together as the church, and so you are actively engaged in the word of God at this time. When we give at the end, you don't give to the church as if it's a separate organization. We give as the church. God has brought our lives together, and so we're able to see that this morning in Colossians chapter 4. We're wrapping up our sermon series through the book of Colossians. Next week, James will be here, and then on September 17th, we're going to start a study through the book of Joshua. Uh, so that's our next place we're going, is from Colossians to Joshua. So we're going to wrap up Colossians this morning. I want to read to you Colossians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And we're going to read down through the end of the chapter. Here's what it says. As to all my affairs, Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord, will bring you information. 
For I have sent to you for this very pur- sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number, they will inform you about the whole situation here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greetings, and also Barnabas's cousin Mark, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And also Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision, and they have proved to be an encouragement to me. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. For I testify for him that he is a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Verse 14, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings, and also Demas. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea, and also Nympha, and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and you, for your part, my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. Grace be with you. Let's say a prayer before we begin our time of looking at Scripture. Father, on a weekend like this, we're always reminded how quickly we move through life. And now that we're at the beginning of a school semester, life really begins to move fast. And God, as we gather and worship, one of the things we can do is just slow ourselves down. Be reminded of your goodness, like we've seen about your power. Be reminded of how our lives are connected together by the salvation that comes through Christ. And specifically this morning, God, we gather with churches all over our country and around the world who are praying for the people affected by the hurricane. And we're connected with them as well. God, as we pray for them, as we minister, as we remember the hope that we have in Christ. Father, thank you for the way that you have allowed Emmaus to be engaged in those relief efforts. And God, we're reminded that there's a lot that needs to be done along the Gulf Coast, but there are needs around our country and around the world right now that are not always as well known. And God, keep our eyes open to how we can be the church, how we can continue to display the hope of Christ to the world around us. And God, open our hearts and minds as we study scripture this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm curious, when it comes to the topic of social media, uh, or just social, as it's cool to say now, not even social media, just social, as it's, Emmaus, how many Instagram users do we have in the house? I know it feels weird to raise your hand in, how many Instagram users? Okay. Guys, it's okay if you raise your hand on this one. How many Pinterest users do we have in that Wow, look at that. That catches me off a little bit. So uh, how many Snapchat users do we have in the room? Okay, so less in the stadium seating, more down here. Uh, how, about, how about Facebook? How many Facebook users? Oh, my nightmare is confirmed. <laughs> oh, that's what I was afraid of. How many Twitter users are in the house? Okay, there's a couple of us. So, you know, Facebook represents the people you went to high school with. Twitter represents the people you wish you went to high school with. 
is the way that that, the way that, that happens. So I kind of have a love-hate relationship with social media. I love to hate it, uh, but I'm still on Twitter multiple times a day, scrolling through, checking things. I hate Facebook like the plague, and yet I'm on there every day, and I get sucked in for 15, 20 minutes at a time thinking, oh, my word, what just, what just happened? I want you to know this morning is not a rant against social media. One thing I love about my parents, and there are many things they have taught me and I appreciate, one thing that they are committed to is not to grow old and cranky, especially when it involves the church. I'm not here to be a curmudgeon this morning about social media. In fact, it's just the opposite. We're wanting to think about how do we engage things like this in a biblical way? What does it mean to be a part of a social group? What does it mean to be connected with other people? Why are we so drawn to things like this? What engages our lives in these ways? Hopefully you've seen the way we've been able to be more involved as a church on Facebook recently because of some people we've hired onto our ministry staff and some things we're, we're trying to do. And so, like I said, we're here to think about what does it mean that our lives are connected? And so I've gone with kind of a cheesy sermon title this morning, but it's just God's social network. Because these names at the end of Colossians 4 are the names that we usually read past really quickly. And you wouldn't even get a sermon on the end of Colossians because why would you talk about all these random names that show up at the end of the book? But I think this is important, an important part of the book. It's an important part of the New Testament that's e- easily looked over. And it's just the idea that from beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, God is doing a work to shape a people. Yes, when he saves us, he does save us individually. We stand before the Lord. But we are saved. We're not saved just to continue to live as an individual. He saves us into his people. We become a part of the church. And so I just want to repeat over and over and over again to the point that you get frustrated by it, that Christianity is not private and it's not individual. Christianity is public and it's corporate. It's public. It's meant to overflow from our lives. It affects every area of our lives. We don't compartmentalize one area to the detriment of another. It affects how we live in the world, and Christianity is meant to be a team sport. It's not something we just do on our own. And so when we think about social media, we think about this idea that our lives are connected together, that should show up. We should live as Christians on social media. On our Facebook page this week, we put out a request that you would give us some of the ways that you try to engage online as a Christian, how do you do that? And if you want to see some of the responses, they were really helpful, and I would, I would connect with every one that was given on there. You can go to our Facebook page and see that, but just to remind you that social media is like a megaphone. Everything on there feels louder. So the good seems better than it really is. The bad seems worse than oftentimes it really is. Everything just feels blown up. Everything feels bigger. And so you've got to be able to put on the lenses to make sense of what you're seeing on there. That when I engage on social media, I want to engage in such a way that I live out that Monday morning prayer we shared last week. God, open a door. If you're going to be on social media, pray that God would open a door that you would be able to proclaim and display Jesus. Open my eyes. Let me pay attention to how I'm living, open my eyes, and then sometimes on social media, just shut your eyes. But uh, you know, generally, open my eyes. Let me let me live wisely, and then open my mouth. If I'm going to speak, let me speak the words of Christ. Let me speak in a way that lifts people up, because God has created us to be connected to one another. 
So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk through the end of Colossians chapter 4, and I want to give you characteristics of what gospel partnerships look like. In Philippians 1, Paul talks about how we're partners in the gospel. This is one of my favorite phrases in the New Testament. I'll use it when I send you text messages. I'll use it when I send you letters. I just want you to hear over and over and over again, we are partners in the gospel. And so there are characteristics that show up about partnerships in the gospel. The goal this morning is not that you memorize and remember every characteristic on here, but it's just that we get a feeling of what does it look like when God brings his people together. So we're going to start in verse 7, and we're just going to track through here about what are these characteristics that should define gospel partnerships. The first comes out of Colossians chapter 4, verse 7, as to all my affairs, Tychicus. And Tychicus, as you can see on the screen, is referenced several other places in Paul's writings. Paul would often send Tychicus places. He was kind of his uh, emissary. He would send him out to do tasks. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful servant and fellow bondservant in the Lord. The first characteristic that you see are gospel partnerships are meant to be personal. Now, I know that seems very, very simple, but I want to start there. Paul uses names here as he's describing who he's connected with. When he says that he is connected with Tychicus, it's because he's able to put a face with a name. He has this personal connection with him. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, our partnerships can become very general and abstract. We could say, oh, we partner as a part of uh, the North American Mission Board or the International, or we partner with Serve More. We love the people that Serve More. And these become organizations and not people. This is what stood out to me when we went to Canada a couple of weeks ago. Our church has a partnership with Multiply Church in Calgary, Canada. I could say that to you and you'd say, oh, and that's cool. I, I love the fact that we're connected with Multiply Church in Canada. But when we went there, we met Chris and Mindy and Damien and all these people that became faces and names and not just a general person or not just a general organization out there. When God connects our lives with other people, it's meant to happen on a personal level. This impacts how we relate as a church here. The people who sit over here in this part of Emmaus are partners in the gospel that people would sit way up in the dark areas of the stadium seating. If we're not careful, we have no interaction. It's just hey, yeah, we're kind of in this together as partners in the gospel. Partnerships are meant to be personal. They're meant to be something where I am able to engage with that person. Here's what happens at Emmaus that becomes, becomes very difficult. We're stuck somewhere between small church and, and large church. We're not the huge church that's going to have thousands of people there, but we're not a small church of 100 people. And so people come into Emmaus, and it feels too big to get to know everybody, but it's not so big that people don't look at you randomly, kind of awkwardly, after a couple of weeks of showing up. And so people come in, they feel overwhelmed by that. Let me remind you about something, the way the partnerships work. Just because you don't know everybody doesn't mean you can't know a few people. That's my challenge to you, Adamaeus, is when we want to have personal relationships, we want to be in this together as partners in the gospel, you can come into a place like this and it feels like, well, I'm never going to know, any, I'm not, I'm never going to know everybody, so I'll just kind of come and go. Get to know the people around you. Get to know their names. Get to know their stories. Find out how God's been at work in their lives because before you know it, you'll connect with them and you'll find out they have a connection 
with somebody else, and that person will have a connection with somebody else, and pretty, pretty soon you're at Kevin Bacon, you know, by the time you, you meet enough people, and you've made all these connections, and everything's come, come together. God works in such a way that we get to know people. We get to know their names, their stories, how God's at work in, in their lives. Look at how Tychicus is described here. He's described as a beloved brother, a beloved brother. Paul looks at Tychicus not just as a random helper, he's a brother. Some of you, when you describe people that you're around, you call it your tribe. Now, the word tribe to describe a group of people in the 21st century is kind of like fingers on a chalkboard to me. I don't really, something about that word that I think I've inherited that from my wife. She does not like that description of groups of people, and so I I feel that. People will say, I have my tribe. That describes a little bit how family relationships were like in the ancient world. If you enjoy studying about ancient cultures, especially the world of the Bible, there's a man named David Da Silva, D-E-S-I-L-V-A, David Da Silva. He does a lot of academic writing, so you have to know what you're getting into, but he's done some incredible work on social networks in the ancient world that describes so much of what happens when you open your Bible and you see the word brother or you see the word sister. We use brother when we can't remember the person's name we walk up to on, uh, on Sunday morning. So uh, when you're like, ah, oh, I know that person. Brother, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, we use it in that way. In the ancient world, though, these social networks, these kinship relationships, they were your identity. They were your source of strength in hard times, especially let's pretend you turn and you begin to follow this guy named Jesus and you call him the Messiah and pretty soon your biological family starts to push you to the side. Then these other followers of Jesus become your family and they start calling you beloved brother. That's not just a random phrase. That says, I care about you as a person. I want to know how God's at work in your life. So gospel partnerships are meant to be personal. They're not generic, they're personal. Number two, so kids, the first word you would write in that bubble is personal if you're good with your letters and you're able to do that. The second word is faithful. Notice how Tychicus is described. He's a beloved brother and he's a faithful servant. When you see the word faith show up in the New Testament, try your best not to think of it primarily as this intellectual connection with something or this intellectual assent to something. Faith, and even the word faithful here, is tied to the idea of reliable, foundation, something you can trust in. A gospel partnership is someone who is reliable. There's something about having a friend who just shows up every day. It's not this purely emotional, you're up one day, you're down the next, you're up one day, you're down the next. Gospel partnerships are not meant to be this emotional roller coaster. They're reliable. They're faithful. There's somebody you know is going to show up. And when you have those people in your life, it brings a level of stability that we all need. Who do you have that's a gospel partner that you know they're reliable? You know they're not flashy. They're not emotional. They're just going to show up every day, and you can count on them. So faithful. Second, or third, so personal, faithful. The next description, the word we're going to use is humble. When Paul is speaking about Tychicus, he says, beloved brother, faithful servant, and then fellow bondservant in the Lord. Some translations will even say fellow slave in the Lord there. This idea that when Paul was talking to people who were involved in this gospel ministry, when his life was connected with these people, they saw themselves 
on the same playing field, that they were on equal grounds. They were slaves. They were servants in the Lord. Gospel partnerships, if one side, if one person is prideful, if they think of themselves more highly than they ought, it's not going to be a great partnership. A gospel partnership is when you come together and say the only thing we have in common is we are both servants of Christ. We are going to bond around that reality that we are humble in the Lord. Yes, there's going to be leaders. Yes, there's going to be more dominating personalities. But if you ever get the idea that in a partnership, one person is beginning to take the route of pride, that somehow they're better, they bring more to the table, that becomes a dangerous situation. If you ever see me in a situation where it starts to look like, hey, I thought we were in a partnership here as Emmaus, but it, it looks like Owen is just kind of in this for himself. It's a dangerous situation. I need to be aware of that because we come together in the Lord. Our partnership as a church is not depending on any one of us being better than anybody else. Our only hope, our only power is in the name of Christ. And so gospel partnerships are personal. We know the people. They're faithful. You can depend on them, and you can depend on them because they're humble. They're not asserting themselves. The focus is on Christ. Same thing is when two churches try to partner together or two organizations partner together. You find out pretty quickly if it's really a partnership or if one organization is just trying to promote themselves or one church is just trying to get higher on the pedestal. Are you really in this together, humbly, or are you in it for yourself? That's a hard question to ask, but it's something we have to be aware of in these, in these situations. So that's the idea of being humble. The next thing, personal, faithful, humble. The next one, kids, is kind of a big word. Uh, it's the word enlightening. And it's when we're trying to avoid this out of sight, out of mind. Look at this description that Paul gives. So he says, Tychicus is our beloved brother, faithful servant, fellow bondservant. What's he going to do? He's going to bring you information about what's going on. I've sent him for this very purpose. If you have your phone or your Bible open, you look down at the end of verse 9, there's another phrase there where we're talking about Onesimus who's going to inform you about the whole situation. This idea that gospel partnerships, one of the purposes is that you would receive information that would be enlightening, that you wouldn't live in this out of sight, out of mind approach. Now, obviously, obviously enough, in the ancient world, information did not travel at the speed that it does now. We live in a world where something happens and immediately it shows up on social media and you begin to see what happens. They lived in a world where information traveled very slowly. But Paul knew, here's the key point, Paul knew if he was going to have a partnership with them, if this social network was going to be strong, there had to be information shared with people. You couldn't be in the dark. What does that mean for us as a church? Okay, I'm going to use a buzzword, but it's a word that makes sense here. We have to be transparent with one another. I know the word transparent in 2017 gets way overused, and it's this terrible buzzword, but here's the idea. If you're going to be a partner in the gospel with someone, you have to be willing to share information. You have to be able to say, I want you to know what's going on in my life, and I want to know what's going on in your life, not because I'm nosy. I want to know what's going on in your life because we are in this together, and I want to know how God is working. When you're in your Sunday school classes and you're in your small groups and you're always remaining closed off, that partnership in the gospel will never have the power it could if you're not willing to open up and say, I want you to know. Now, there is a such thing as TMI. 
There is a such a thing as the person who overshares or gives too much information. But the point is, partnerships in the gospel need information to be shared. We need to know what's going on so we'll know how God's at work. This shows up in a big way in mission partnerships. So I can begin to tell you this morning all of the partners that Emmaus has in missions. But if you don't have information, if you don't know what's going on, it's just a random name. It's just something that shows up on our budget sheet at the end of the year. Here's a commitment we want to make to you as Emmaus. We're going to begin doing a better job keeping our mission partnerships in front of you as a church. Because this is not something that the church staff does as a random hobby. This is something we do as Emmaus. We are engaged in these partnerships. So one of the things that we're working to do is to take kind of our coffee bar area out here, transform it a little bit, and turn it into a mission center where we're going to be able to keep pictures in front of you. We're going to be able to keep updates in front of you. That is, we're in this together doing missions because we know what happens with out of sight, out of mind. When you're not seeing something, when you're not thinking about it, you don't feel connected to it. And, and why would you? Because you don't have any information. You don't know what's going on. This is one place that social media is very good. Is you'll log on and you'll see somebody you haven't seen in a long time and you'll get some information about what's going on in their life. And a lot of times you're just overjoyed. You're like, wow, I had not seen so-and-so in a long time. You know, look at how God's at work in their life. Now, sometimes it goes the opposite way in that you see so-and-so and your heart breaks because of, of what's going on. Um, and you never know who the Facebook algorithm is actually going to put in front of you. So, you know, some people always stay out of sight, out of mind because of that algorithm. But there are these people that God puts in your life and you say, I want to know what's happening there. I need to know so that I'm able to, I'm able to stay connected. I put a couple of websites on your, uh, on your notes there. The first is... a a newsletter called On Mission Today. On Mission Today is a newsletter that's sent out by the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board and just lets you know what's happening around the world in regard to mission. There's one called imbstudents.org that's good for keeping uh, teenagers engaged with those happening in missions. There's one called BP News, stands for Baptist Press News. These are, I know your, your email inbox gets overloaded, but these are opportunities where you can find out what's going on. Don't let God's work around the world be out of sight, out of mind. It, your Facebook feed, your inbox for your email, it gets filled with a ton of junk, and a lot of it not very helpful. Fill it up with something that matters. Have a partnership because you know what's going on around the world. Celebrate those type of things. Okay, that's number four, enlightening. Number five, encouraging. When Paul gets to the end of verse 8, he says, for I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. We have partnerships in the gospel because we need people to encourage us. This is one of those beauties of marriage where one day one person is down and the other person is there to pick them up and the next day that person is down and the next person is there to pick them up. You need friends like that you need people like that at your workplace. You need partners so that when you're down, somebody is there to pick you up. And there's a very basic level where that can feel like, oh, well, of course I know that. I learned that in kindergarten. But there's another place where your faith is being tested, where things are happening in your life that you don't understand why those things are happening, where sickness is coming, job loss is coming, 
your kids are going sideways, what do you do in those moments? Who's there to encourage you in those moments? It's the partners in the gospel. It's the people that God has placed around you in this social network to lift you up. Encouraging. The next is reconcilable. Reconcilable. I probably should have done another word there. But uh, F, whatever that word is that starts with R, that's point F on your notes, where you're reconciled with one another. Look down in verse 9. When Paul is talking about them coming, he says, With him will come Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of your number. They will inform you about the whole situation here. But then he also, down in verse 10, he talks about Barnabas' cousin Mark. Now, Onesimus and Mark have something in common. And it's at some point in their life they have had a broken relationship. Look at this comparison chart um, that I put up here on the screen. So Onesimus is from Colossae, from the city that this letter is being written to. He's from Colossae. He was a runaway slave. We talked about this when we studied the book of Philemon. He's a runaway slave who goes to Paul, and he becomes a Christian, and now he's being returned to his master Philemon. He's, the letter Philemon is being carried along with the letter Colossians as they go back to the city. Probably, yeah, so probably at the same time Colossians and maybe Ephesians were delivered. Then you have Mark. Mark is sometimes known as John Mark, that he became connected with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But as they were going on that journey, Mark got homesick and wanted to run back to his mommy. And so he left the missionary trip and went back home. And this ticked Paul off. Paul did not like the idea that Mark had left this journey. So when they get ready to start their second journey, Barnabas says, hey, let's take my cousin along and Paul says, well, you take your own cousin. He's not coming back with me. Last time, he, he ran off and went back. And they had this division that happens in their relationship. But look at this point. Now Mark is showing back up. There's even places in 2 Timothy 4.11 where Paul will, start, will, will talk so highly of Mark. In both situations, you find out that gospel partnerships happen when people who have been broken are able to be restored when relationships that have been damaged are able to be restored. We talked about reconciliation on a Sunday morning a couple of months ago, and, and one of our members came up to me afterward and told me how after that sermon, she had gone and reached out to a former friend, and they had had a split in their relationship years before. They were able to get back together, have coffee, reconcile that relationship, and see the power of the gospel at work. Gospel partnerships happen when relationships are reconciled. So I just ask you just for a second, is there anybody in your life that formerly you were a partner in the gospel with them, but you feel like there's been a break? That relationship has, has gone sideways for some reason, and God would work in your life this week to bring it back together. You would see the gospel on display because God would restore a partnership that was there at one time, it's been broken, and he wants to bring it back together. When these relationships happen, reconciliation, restoration begins to happen. All right, let's look at what comes next. The next is the idea that these relationships are diverse. So there in verse 10, he talks about Aristarchus. He talks about Mark. And then in verse 11, he talks about Jesus, who is called Justice. And he says in verse 11, these are the only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are from the circumcision. That's his way of saying that they're Jewish. And then he goes on in verse 12, and he talks about Epaphras, 
Then in verse 14, he talks about Luke and Demas. And so what he's done is he's balanced out his list so there are three Jews and three Gentiles. When Paul had partnerships in the gospel, these relationships were diverse. He didn't just get around people like him and say, we're going to work together. He said, no, part of the power of God's social network is he brings us together with people not like us. Verse 15 talks about this lady named Nepha, who they would meet together in her house. Sometimes in the New Testament, or sometimes in reference to Paul, Paul is portrayed as very anti-female or even misogynistic. You start to read the New Testament, you find that's not the case at all. Paul partnered with successful business ladies for the purpose of the spread of the gospel. His social network was incredibly diverse. And so then we have to look at our lives and say, is my gospel social network, are my partners in the gospel all like me? Because if they are, that doesn't say anything about the gospel. It says everything about me. That maybe I need to say, God, what do you want to do in my life to bring the power of the gospel through diversity? If you want to see a good example of this, I would encourage you to go online and listen to this fall's 2017 convocation address at at OBU, at Oklahoma Baptist University. Dr. Whitlock, his uh, address to the seminary this fall was on the topic of racial reconciliation, on the topic of diversity in the kingdom of God. It's one of the best presentations you'll hear on that topic. Now, if you plan to read the address on the website that I've given you. You're going to need a large cup of coffee, Uh, but it's on there as a video that you can watch as well. And so it's a reminder that when God works among his people, there should be diversity. Sometimes it's ethnic, sometimes it's economic, sometimes it's just a bunch of prodigals and Pharisees who have gotten together and said, we're going to do this. We're going to be involved in this for the power of the gospel. All right, so it's diverse. Here comes the next one. It's prayerful. You get down to verse 12, and you find this guy, Epaphras, who was one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. He sends you greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Partnerships in the gospel work when you know that you're laboring together in prayer. We talked about this last week, but we always think of prayer as kind of a passive thing, laboring earnestly. This is an active ordeal. If Epaphras here is the same as Epaphroditus who shows up in the book of Philippians, which probably is the case, it's not certain, but if they're the same guys, it says that he almost died because he cared so much about the people that he was ministering with. He was laboring earnestly. He was praying for them, which kind of leads into the next point on your notes. Kids, the next word to write in a bubble is emotional. So not only is it prayerful, but it's emotional. Verse 13, I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. These are not bland, generic relationships. Partners in the gospel are emotional in the sense that, in the sense that you mourn with those who mourn and you rejoice with those who rejoice. If someone in the body, if someone in your church, if someone in your social network is hurting, you hurt with and for them. If they're rejoicing, you rejoice with and for them. They have an emotional characteristic to them. Now we talked earlier 
they're faithful, they're reliable, they're not going up and down, but they're emotionally involved with you. They're not just these generic relationships. All right, the next one is not always perfect. I couldn't think of the best way to describe it, but not always perfect. Look in verse 14. It says, Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings and also Demas. Well, this guy Demas shows up two other places in the New Testament. Philippians 24, he shows up, described as one of the fellow workers. But look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Now, 2 Timothy has written after Colossians. So here's this partner in the gospel that Paul is calling a fellow worker. And a couple of years later, he says that he has deserted me. And specifically, he's deserted me because of he loves the things of the world more than he does the gospel. Sometimes, partners in the gospel will let us down. Why? Because we begin to love the things of the world more than we do the mission of God. And that's not a danger for the people around us. That's a danger in my own heart. I never want you to look up and say, well, Owen's deserted us because he's begun to love the things of the world more than he loves the mission of God that we would be in this, that we'd be focused, but we face reality, we realize that relationships break, that things like this happen. All right, what comes next? They're reciprocal. They're these give and take relationships. You get down to verse 15. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and also Nympha and the church that is in her house. When this letter is read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you, for your part, read my letter that is coming from Laodicea. Now, you could go through the table of contents in your phone for the New Testament. You could open up your Bible to the table of contents, and you're not going to find a book called Laodicea. You're not going to find that letter. We, we don't know for sure what Paul is talking about here. I really like the theory, and it hangs by a thread, but I really like the theory that the letter to Laodicea is the letter that we have in the Bible called Ephesians. You can make a case for that. It's not a perfect case. There's, there's arguments to be made. But there's a pretty strong case that can be made that this letter referencing Laodicea might be the letter to the Ephesians we have in the New Testament. Whatever the case, though, the point is that there's a give and take. Laodicea doesn't say, well, we have our own gospel, and you have your own gospel in Colossae, and we're just going to live apart. Paul says, no, you get their letter. They'll take your letter. You're going to share. You're going to be in this together. This is one of the things I love about Emmaus, that we are seeking to be partners in the gospel with other churches in this area. That God is at work, not just here, but he's at work throughout the body of Christ. Let me say one thing about that. Sometimes people love the idea of these partnerships in the gospel so much, they say, you know what, I'm not gonna commit to one church because I wanna be involved in all that God is doing. So you go from this church to this church to this church, but that's not the pattern you find in the New Testament. The best way to be engaged in the body of Christ, the best way to be a part of these partners in the gospel is to give yourself fully to a local church. Not for the purpose of cutting yourself off from other churches, but as you engage fully in a local church, God will allow those partnerships to bubble up. He will connect you with other believers. I do not want you to come to Emmaus to cut yourself off from other churches, but I do want you to commit yourself fully to a local church, whether it's here or somewhere else, because in that we begin to find the work of God's kingdom. 
in that we begin to find the body of Christ. Being involved in a local church is not opposed to being connected to other believers. It's how it happens. And so, yes, Laodicea and Colossae are in this together, but they're not in this together in the sense that the members just kind of run back and forth to both towns because they want to be involved in both, both places. That's not how it happens. Okay, finally, we've reached the last word on here. It's very simple. It's evangelistic. You get to verse 17. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. It matters to Paul that the mission of God is brought to completion. And then in verse 18, you see, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my imprisonment. In other words, remember what I'm going through to display and proclaim Jesus. Remember what's involved here. Grace be with you. Grace be with you there ties all the way back to the front of the letter where Paul is talking about the spread of the gospel, God's grace being made known to them and to people all over the world. Grace is the summary of the good news of Jesus, that we have been given something that we do not deserve, that in Christ we have hope and life and victory and peace and salvation, and it comes as a gift, not as anything that we earn. And so Paul's final reminder here is that these partnerships in the gospel, they're supposed to be evangelistic. We're not in this just to make each other feel better. (laughs) We're not in this just to improve conditions. We're in this so that we will be able to speak about and live out the hope of the gospel. What's the result of this? Well, it's that the body of Christ is sustained, that we keep going. Sometimes the only thing that keeps us going one day to the next is we know we're not alone. We know we have other people that are in this with us. They care about us. They want us to keep going. So it sustains the body and expands. It extends the influence far beyond anything that one of us could do. We're finite. Our influence only goes so far. At some point, we have to sleep. At some point, we're called to rest. Our influence can only go so far. If the spread of the gospel is dependent on me, we're in a lot of trouble. Not only because we misunderstood the gospel at that point, but because I can only do so much. But when we are gathered together as the church, as partners in the gospel, it's limitless what God would do through us. What is it like to be a part of people who are committed to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Who say, I'm not in this for myself, I'm going to share, I'm going to give and take. It's not always perfect. There's trouble that comes, but... They're emotionally engaged. They pray for you. They're not always like you. If something's broken, they want it to be restored. They're there to build you up. They'll share because they want you to know how God's at work. They're humble. They're reliable. They care about you as a person. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of social network I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. That's what I want to give myself to. And by the power of God, he will do that. He will do that among our families. He'll do that among our churches. He'll do that in our hearts. If you think of Christianity as something that happened to you long ago and that just affects your own heart, oh man, kill that thought. God has so much more that he wants to do in your life. That what he does in you is supposed to overflow out of you. And what he does in you is supposed to connect you to other believers so the gospel will continue to go forward. God, would you do this work in our life? Would you do this work in our church?
I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray for us, we're going to stand and sing a song that connects these ideas together. If it God's at work in your life in some way, and you just need somebody to pray for you, I'm going to be over here at the front. I'd love to be able to do that. But your response right now is to say, God, I want to be a partner in the gospel. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And that singing this song would be a way that you make that commitment right now. Let's pray together and we're going to sing. Father, I know uh, when I first looked at these verses at the end of Colossians 4, I thought we should probably just skip it and go on to Joshua because what does a bunch of names at the end of a letter really mean? But the more we see how you connect people together for the purpose of the gospel, the more we see how you give us these relationships in the kingdom, the more our hearts are set on fire to be a part of what you're doing. God, I thank you for the other churches in this area. God, I thank you for those partnerships in the gospel we have. God, I thank you for the way that you bring diverse people together, the way that you restore broken relationships, the way that you sustain us through hard times. And you do that through the power of the church that's happening all over the world right now. And it's because you are good and powerful and loving and faithful. And so God, as we stand and sing, we give our hearts fully to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.